Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 64. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. This is like the fifth time we're doing this intro, and uh, our guest uh, is probably very annoyed at this point, but she's stuck with us. Um, so please welcome from the Real Good Pros podcast, Yensina. Hello. So, how are you doing? Pretend this isn't the third time I've asked you. <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, how are you guys? I'm doing fine. Uh, we can complain about Boston. We, we were discussing that hockey really just doesn't exist right now for us because, you know, the cup finals are between a team that we hate and a team that at least I'm fairly indifferent about, aside from rooting from the former Leafs on there. So, um, everything's good except hockey, which is trash and terrible. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um... Yeah, but uh, I guess we still are committed to doing this because we have set a standard for ourselves that we are going to meet. So we're going to talk about, I guess, some of the things that have been happening in Leafland. Um, I guess we have to start with Mitch Marner. Is everyone excited for more Mitch Marner talk? I know I am. <laughs> yeah, so um, just to recap the, the news, so to speak, there isn't really much news i guess it's just we keep getting leaks from marner's camp that are increasingly more and more ridiculous so the the one that came out recently is that you know marner again still looking for matthew's money won't sign for less than 10 million even if it's like a three-year deal so like an option is three years 10 million which to be clear would be one of the worst contracts that i have ever seen but you know other than that it's pretty good so, so yeah yeah, so so I, I guess, Yensina, like, how, how do you how do you make sense of what's going on on this front so far? Like, are are you just trying to ignore it? Um, are you worried about what's going to happen on on this front? Do, do the leaks kind of concern you in any way? They concern me only in so far that I'm like not a hundred percent confident in Dubis's um, negotiation skills and like. Uh, ability to get uh, team-friendly contracts. I think they're insane, and I don't think he's going to sign him for that. But I do worry that we're going to end up overpaying just because of the hype. Yeah, it, it, it really it really does seem that way at this point, where you know you, you compare him to other players. You know, we've we've had this discussion seems like a million times, but you compare him to like Point and Rantanen and Aho, and he he's in that class of players, but none of those players seem to be getting they seem to have like leaked three-year 10 million dollar contracts uh, I, I i really can't get over how insane that is like that that, that yeah like we thing. had all these comparables and they just left the station you know like we're no longer even talking in terms of will he get as much as players who are as good as him now we're like well if we just close our eyes and pretend that he's basically the second best player in the world um does this make sense like that's kind of the scale that the 10 by 3 is on and i have a very uneasy feeling about how this is going to go. Like, I think we're going to sign him. I think we're going to keep the player. And in the end, you know, that's good. Don't lose really good players. It's kind of a nice way to run your team. But, like, this all seems like it's sort of ending and us getting, you know, absolutely robbed by Mitch Marner on this one. So that's fun. I don't know. I, I have to admit that even granted these are all leaks, these are all coming, you know, from the Marner side. And they are negotiating through the media, which is what it is. It's a tactic like anything else. But anchoring bias is a thing, and when we start having conversations about, like, oh, maybe 9.5 times 3, maybe 10 times 3 is, you know, kind of where this ends up. When those conversations are happening and everyone isn't immediately in the circles that kind of matter, like, hey, that's batshit, that makes me concerned. That makes me think that we are actually drifting in that direction. That it's not just whistling Dixie. So, yeah, I don't know about that. This is a very... You know, somewhat absurd comparison, but it reminds me of like kind of the politics stuff we see with like Trump, where it's like he says these such obviously ridiculous things that like don't end up getting called out as obviously ridiculous nearly as much as they should. So you end up discussing them on their terms, and it just like changes mm. the narrative. Now, to be clear, this is far more important than U.S. politics. Obviously. <laughs> um, so yeah, like th that's an extreme e example. Um, I don't think. You know, I'm, I'm not comparing Marner or his camp in any way to Donald Trump, but uh, it, it's the same sort of kind of, it's almost like gaslighting in a weird way. It's like our perception of reality of what 
an actual fair deal is is just getting questioned and like no one seems to be mentioning that in the mainstream media for this like it's like no one's taking a step back and being like why is that his ask that makes no sense yeah this entire thing is definitely like i mean i already hate the toronto mainstream media and think they're garbage but this especially has been like like you need to actually, if something is batshit insane, you need to say that it's batshit insane and not just be like, yes, this seems like a reasonable pay for this player. Let's discuss it. And actually, maybe he's worth more. So let's also speculate about that. <laughs> yeah, it, like at, at a certain point, it's just sort of like, is there not going to be any kind of safety where someone comes in and says, okay, but seriously, we're not going to pay you this much money. Um, and, and, you know, in the end there are no laws really binding how this works out other than, you know, the market. If he can get an offer sheet from somebody else and he's willing to sign it, well, then maybe he'll get this amount of money. But I don't think that he is. And I would like the team to pretend that offer sheets aren't real because that's not really pretending until we prove otherwise. So I kind of am just counting on Cal Dubas to just basically say, eh, this is a lot of uh, hot air, and I'm just shutting it out and putting on noise-canceling headphones and just going about my business for the next month. So that's kind of where I'm at, is basically hoping that everything I'm hearing is wrong. So that's a fun place to be in. How do you feel about that strategy, yeah. Encina? Like, where, you know, at some point, Dubis just kind of has to play hardball. It's a bit of a tricky balance in this case, isn't it? Yeah, and I do think that is going to be what it comes down to, is that he's going to have to look at, like... Because I'm sure they bring up all the stuff in the media in in negotiations and being like, look, this is what like people are saying that it's worth and have to say, absolutely not. This is our final number. If you want to go and find other teams, like, good luck. But you have to draw a line and be like, no, we're not paying more than this because... Like, Mitch Marner's an amazing player, and obviously I want him to be a Leaf forever. But at a certain point, a certain amount of money just decimates your team in other ways yeah and the 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 interesting thing is like even putting aside the offer sheet side of things if marner was you know free to sign a contract with any team in general i don't know if he'd get what he's asking for right like putting aside offer sheet compensation and the additional barriers to a team wanting to um propose to, to, to table an offer sheet and for a player to sign it if that wasn't an issue, his contract demands would still be kind of rich, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's... I, I wonder, and I think this came up a lot with Nylander, where, you know, as the process continued to go along, people got more and more frustrated with it. And some people proposed, like, increasingly cut off your nose to spite your face ideas, where it's like, oh, let him sit in Europe, let him play for Metallurg Magnitogorsk or some whatever right um and you know you have to take a step back and realize we're not in the business of showing how big our dick is to rfas we're in the business of winning <laughs> hockey games right and neander helps you win hockey games and mitch marner also helps you win hockey games so you want him on the team but at some point i i do find myself tempted by the idea of just saying our our number is you know on these different terms say on a six-year term we're willing to pay i don't know a bit north of nine million. You set your number at each term and say, this is our maximum. If you want to talk within that, let's talk. Otherwise, we're going to trade you, right? And I think at some point you do have to make that distinction. And the reporting from McKenzie way back was essentially that the Leafs are going to do that. But, you know, I guess we won't see until around the draft, you know, until more reporting comes out, what the level of that would be, right? So I don't know, Fulman, does that kind of make sense to you? It does. I, I mean, my attitude about this is, okay, look, your leverage is an offer sheet. You want an offer sheet, go sign an offer sheet, and I'll make up my own mind whether I'm going to match it. But I can't kind of startle at ghosts here, and you can't overpay players by two, three million dollars, which is honestly the territory that I think this is approaching if we're talking ten times three. Oh, yeah, no, like, absolutely. As, yeah, as Yancina said, it's like, at a certain point, you're just decimating your own capacity to build a team. You, you know, it's like well, you gotta be, you gotta have some buy-in from your players, and you gotta recognize that the RFA thing still is worth something in terms of leverage. And you know, I think probably on some level, 
Uh, Darren Ferris is aware of that. You know, you look at some of the clients that he's had in the past, and there were some really noisy negotiations. I saw someone point this out it, on it Twitter. Kevin. I'm forgetting who. Yep. Was it Kevin? It's always Kevin. Um, yeah, but there was something about, like, his previous clients were like uh, Andreas Athanasiu and Josh Anderson and Taylor Hall. But in some of those cases, there was a lot of, like, noise and maybe I'll go to the KHL. Maybe I'll hold out. Maybe I'll do something. And in the end, kind of everything came around. I just still find myself thinking that as much as Mitch Marner wants to be an extremely rich young man, which is going to be anyway... And as much as maybe Paul Marner wants the big number that is the status symbol, where it's like, look how important I am, I don't think that he's going to chase those things to the exclusion of everything else, which is, you know, I want to play for a good competitive team in my hometown in a place where I've signed endorsements with like 17 companies to the point where the endorsement money might actually be a meaningful amount of money, which is not really that common for a hockey player. But I just find myself thinking... If he wants money more than he wants anything, and maybe he does, and, you know, I even get it. Money's nice to have. If he wants that, then there's not much you can do. But you really want him to establish that, and if he doesn't, he's probably going to come around to some extent. Right now, I'm just thinking, yeah, you just got to kind of sit on your hands a little bit and say, okay, we still got some time to work this out. So, yeah. That's how I would do it if I were running the team, which if we I were running the team, the team would be a disaster in general. So take that with a grain of salt. But it's kind of Yancy, my I'm curious for your thoughts on this. What do you what do you think ultimately is kind of a fair deal? And where, where would you kind of set the line in terms of this is the max that, you know, we're willing to discuss. And then after that point, we have to consider other options. Uh, I think absolute maximum that I would pay him would be like, 9.5 and that would be for like 7 or 8 and I can't anything approaching 10 is garbage for any term and for a shorter term it needs to be mm. under 9 yeah uh, so evolving hockey's contract protections have him at just about 9 million for 6 years which I guess that that's the, the thing I floated about a minute ago and even that feels a little rich to me, although that might just be sticker shock. I mean, the, their contract model is more robust than me going, eh, that seems a bit high. Um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll take that at face value. But yeah, like for, for shorter terms, it, it better be less than, than $9 million. I mean, the other thing is w everyone made fun of the Leon Dreisaitl deal, right? And that was, was that eight years, eight and a half million? Yeah. yeah. So if you do the contract cap hit percentage that becomes a bit or like maybe 9.1 9.2 or something like that um Dreisaitl is probably a slightly better player than Mitch Marner yeah uh speaking of Kevin doing everything he said basically like if the Oilers come out tomorrow and say we'll trade Dreisaitl for currently unsigned Mitch Marner straight up right now is that a good deal for Edmonton and the answer is no like that's kind of heartbreaking to contemplate that what appeared to be a Peter Chiarelli overpay is going to be more valuable than what we're about mm -hmm. to do. I don't know, man. Maybe I just need to go to bed. <laughs> I just feel like there's no coming back from this. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's just... As much as I like the player, and he is, like, he's really good. And any scenario where this ends where we actually lose him is a huge setback for the franchise, and I don't want that. And he's cool and nice, and he seems like he's... A 12-year-old that got set loose in a Baskin-Robbins, and he's just having the time of his life. And I admire all of those things about him, but it's just sort of like, at a certain point, the dollars and cents can't be as bad as they're rumored to be. Or it's going to be kind of painful for the franchise. I don't know. Yeesh. So, what would you look to get back in a trade? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Yensina? I mean, because it's a difficult trade to make. You're trading a distressed asset. You know, at, at the point where... It becomes clear, okay, we have to trade Marner. Every team knows, okay, they're, you know, the contract demands are, are too high for them. They, can't, they have to trade Marner, and this is an opportunity for us. They're not saying, oh, well, we should give them a fair deal. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, there's, no, <laughs> there's no universe in which that trade is going to work out very well for us. Mm -hmm. um, I think the better option necessarily than trading him is to wait out the idea of offer sheets and just kind of play hardball with that idea and, and wait and see if um, 
like say, oh, you want to play for another team? Well, let's see if any other team is going to want you and wait and see if absolutely nothing happens. Um, but to try and make a trade, especially with how in the media absolutely fucking everything has been, it's going to be bad. It Yeah, it'd be really bad. And I mean, the, the, the worrisome thing about waiting for an offer sheet, you know, and the kind of playing chicken with them is that there is a chance that you end up with, with egg on your face because, like, there's a particularly diabolical offer sheet that a team could table. And if Marner signed it, we're kind of just, we're up Shit's Creek, right? Where if, if they give him a five-year, $10.5 million offer sheet and he signs it, and it remains to be seen whether a team would want to do that or whether he would sign it because, you know, it does seem clear that he does want to be a Leaf, and if he signs an offer sheet, he will instantly be incredibly hated among Leaf fans for fair or unfair. But if, if he did sign that particular offer sheet, the Leafs are between a rock and a hard place, right? Because the compensation for that is only two firsts, a second, and a third. 10.5 by 5 is both too much money and too little term, and as a kicker, it means his contract expires the same year that Nylander and Matthews is due. Yeah, I just, you kind of have to hope that other franchises aren't throwing around that kind of money just for the sake of slashing our tires. And, you know, I, I know that there are teams that would like the idea of it. I mean, you want to inconvenience your competition, but doing that to the point where you're just sort of tossing around $53 million uh, in that kind of way, I don't think that, you, you know, it's something that you can do unless you're seriously contemplating, okay, if they take it, um, are we happy with that? So I'm kind of hoping that the safety of that there is one that Mitch Marner wouldn't sign it, but two that most teams are not going to be that cavalier about putting that kind of number on the paper because if it's a painful contract for uh, us, the contract plus the compensation involved is going to be pretty painful for a lot of teams that could do it. That's what I'm hoping. So this is me trying to say that the monster under the bed isn't there, but uh, yeah. Hoping for the best on that one, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a perfect storm of fucking awfulness, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Remember how happy we were after winning, like, game one and stuff, you know? And <clears throat> now we're eliminated, and Boston's winning, and we're just, you know, waiting for Mitch Marner to sign for a billion and five dollars. It is... It's sad, man. I want to go to bed. Even more like is after, after the one nothing Riley goal in Game Six, it's like, oh shit, we we can win this. We have a we have a lead, and then like literally <laughs> the next shift, I think Ennis takes a crappy penalty. They score off a Brad Marchand shot that deflects off Ron Hainsey's shin pad, and then they get another power play and Tori Crew. Oh, sorry, this is like traumatic. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I'm yeah. crying. Um, anyway. But yeah, that's. I guess that's where it's at. I still think that the Mitch Marner deal is going to take some time. I know Dubas says he wants it done by July first, and I really hope that he's not saying at any cost. That's yeah. Because if he backs himself into a corner there, that that's going to immediately mean this is going to be. A yeah, bad that's deal. worrisome, right? Because uh, you worry at some point, and I think Yancina alluded to this before with, you know, Dubas having a somewhat questionable record with RFAs in terms of. He hasn't obtained value deals for them the way other GMs have. And this is something we criticized mm -hmm. about him when we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. But, you know, it, if you're setting a deadline for yourself, at, at some point you worry he's going to be like, okay, fuck it, here's $10 million. Let's just get this done. I can plan out the rest of my offseason yeah. now. Yeah. So, yeah. To be clear, if I were actually doing that job, I think that that's how I would end up. <laughs> Like, after six weeks of it, I would just be like, okay, I don't care anymore. Just take it and go I'm, away. I'm beginning to... I'm too, I'm too I'm stressed. I'm to understand why your law career... Uh, <laughs> why you moved <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. man. I walked into that one. No, but actually. Well, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm also, like, terrible at negotiation, where it's like... <laughs> this, is, this is actually very sad. Like, whenever, you know, I have to, like, renew my, uh, my internet or whatever, I get my brother to call for me, because he's, like... He's so much better at this than I am. And I, I'm just like sitting there and he's like, you know, getting me all these discounts and all these sorts of things. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, this, is, this is a useful life skill. Yeah. I went to fight a speeding ticket a few years ago and I was like, I have a law license. I am trained. I am ready to fight. And they went and they were like, all right, we'll knock 10 clicks off 
And uh, if you don't take it, you get demerit points. And I crumpled immediately. <laughs> like, I, he, like, the guy opened with that one line, and I said, done. And so, yeah, I probably shouldn't be negotiating. Yeah, Yantina, uh, but, do you uh, have any terrible negotiating stories, or are you like more competent than Bulman <laughs> and I? Which is a very low bar, to be fair. Um, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm maybe a bit more stubborn. That once I have decided what I want to do, I'm not going to change my mind. So it's good. We yeah. need that actually in the, the front <laughs> you office should, right you now. You should apply for a job with the least front office. They could, they could use you. <laughs> Get right on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Cody was follows all of us on Twitter and is you know up to date with all our <laughs> you know employment statuses. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to add about Marner? I mean, I think, you know, as we've discussed, all, all of these conversations boil down to the same thing, which is, it seems like we're going to overpay him. I hope it's not by that much. We do have to kind of play hardball with him, but the degree to which we do is very tricky. So is there anything else you wanted to add? Mm, no. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, not on my end. <laughs> all right, so the next thing that we want to discuss is... Um, it does, is it any happier, really? It's, it's about Zaitsev and Marlowe. So we, it's been a big topic of conversation in Leafland in general that Zaitsev's and Marlowe's contracts are problematic, and the Leafs were almost certainly going to look at methods by which to rid themselves of these contracts this offseason. Um, let's discuss Zaitsev first. Um, it's always been a little unclear as to what it would take to get rid of Zaitsev's deal. I think all of us would agree that he's, it's too much money and too much term, right? It's, it's just, yeah. So it's, it's a bad contract. Um, and it's unclear what, to what degree we need to add things to get rid of it or if we need to add at all. You know, people like Ian Tullock and Rachel Dory have mentioned that, you know, they've heard that he has some value in some front offices. Some people see him as an asset and, you know, if a team sees him as an asset, we should be on the phone with them immediately. So anyways, all this is hastened by the fact that Zaitsev and the Leafs are apparently working together to make a trade because Zaitsev, you know, wants, wants out of his own volition as well. So I guess, Fulman, we'll start with you. I guess, where do you see this going and how do, you, how do you make sense of this sort of arrangement, how it's likely to end up? I think that there's going to be someone who can talk themselves into Nikita Zaitsev. Like, I think that there's enough in terms of, well, he shoots right and he plays uh, a large amount of minutes. And sure, it's a little bit of money, but it's not like he's 35. And I think that all of this adds up to maybe this ending a little better than it feels like it should, if you're kind of a dollars and cents and coursey sort of person. Um, I do wonder a little bit in terms of where that's going to come. You know, trade speculation is always kind of a mugs game, even at the best of times, because this is a pretty specific market and all you need is one crazy person to make a trade happen. You know, speaking of Peter Giarelli again, like the the market was not Hall for Larson, but you only needed one partner willing to do that and boom, trade happens. So you never know. Uh, and at the same time, I don't you know want to assume that anyone's going to be too, too crazy, but I am going to guess that we do end up dealing Nikita Zaitsev and what comes back is not actually that expensive or that onerous i don't think we're going to get any kind of like positive return but i think it'll be like almost like we just cleared him for a minimum contract like that's my guess as to how this turns out one way or another also his no trade clause doesn't click in until july 1st so if we want to deal him pretty much anywhere we still can so i think that helps yancina what do you think yeah, I think if I can just get back like neutral value for Zaitsev, I would be happy with that. And I do think that it's going to be easier to move mm. him than like people in Toronto like to speculate because I think there's a lot, um, especially if you're like looking, if a GM's looking at his rookie year and then looking at his usage from his rookie year on, there's a lot of arguments that someone might make to themselves about like, oh, well, you know, if we would put him back to his usage that he saw in his rookie year, he could do really, really well, and if they have the space for that sort of role, I think that he could look like a, a really good fit for some teams. So I don't think he's going to be as difficult to move as people think, but also I don't think we're going to get a lot back from him, which I'm not fussed about. I just don't want that contract anymore. 
Right, it's almost like, you know, forgive the, I guess, morbid metaphor, but if you fired him into the sun, it'd be like, it's like that, essentially, right? It's like, he, he's off our books. Yeah. We, I don't really care what we got back as long as it's not harming yeah. us. It's just neutral value. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's interesting. And it, I, I was kind of curious as to the reason why Zaitsev wanted to be out of here. Um, and there could be a lot that goes into this, you know, on... on the personal side could be that not only doesn't like Toronto or his family's not happy here, any number of things. Um, but when you look into his role, he's given like an important role, but it's kind of a really brutal one. He plays really brutal competition, doesn't really see the offensive zone much. Not that he should, to be clear. The Leafs have three, four defensemen who are better than him in the offensive zone, I think. Um, but I wonder if it's a role thing and... If he wants to play, for example, on the power player, if he wants to get more time with, you know, elite offensive players. And to, to your point, Yancina, he put up a lot of points in his rookie year because he was playing on the power play, right? He got a lot of, you know, those cheapy secondary assistants. From what I saw, he was fine on the power play. Wasn't amazing, wasn't terrible. Um, but yeah, maybe you could, a team can talk themselves into, you know, we can play on our second unit, can put him higher up in the lineup, or, or at least play him more offensively. He's played top four minutes on a good team the last two years. He had a good plus minus this year, didn't he? <laughs> he I'd he have says to hopefully. Check, but you never know. Uh, I know uh, Ron Hainsey did. Ron Hainsey's like the plus yeah, minus so I'm, guy. Yeah, so I'm guessing... But, uh, I'm guessing Zaitsev uh, Zaitsev was plus two. It, it's positive. So that means that he it's is... Positive. A, yeah, he's a good player. It's done. Sign him um, up. <laughs> Um, so yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe some team can convince themselves on about that. Uh, if I hope you guys are correct, because I'm a little less optimistic. I think we might have to take back a uh, like a, 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 bad, a bad-ish contract, not something that's as bad as Zaitsev's, but a contract that we don't love or that isn't overpay to some degree, maybe for a shorter term or in a, a smaller absolute amount. Or we might have to include like, I don't know, draft assets of some kind or a prospect of some kind. But assuming we are able to get off sites of and we don't take back a huge amount of you know flotsam that hurts our cap situation the question becomes how do you replace him in the lineup right um katya at ppp had a really good article about this where she basically pointed out that you know the answer to you know should we trade sites of now is not determined by whether you think he's good or whether you think there's better defensemen than him it's how can you replace him, right? And the Leafs don't have a lot of avenues to replace him because at this point, Dermott's going to be out for the first month of the year. Um, Gardner is essentially gone, right? He's not expected back. So how do you guys feel we should replace Zaitsev, assuming he is gone? Uh, Yensina, do you want to start it off there? Yeah, I think that's honestly the thing that concerns me more about the idea of moving his contract less than, like, what we'll get back from it or anything like that. It's what the fuck do we do once we get rid of it? Um, And it's hard because we do have, like, so many good defensemen coming up through the Marlies, but none of them are really ready to take on that role. So we can't really replace him internally easily and with Dermot being out as well that sort of just compounds that hole and and Gardner like you said like really compounds that hole and makes it even more urgent that we do figure something out to replace him and there's not a ton of good options for that not for like the amount of money we can afford to spend yeah I think that's 100% correct like you know people keep looking at Colin Miller in Vegas who seems to have worn out his welcome there and uh, you know, I'm super down, but Colin Millen, Miller, Colin Miller makes 3.875 for the next three years, which I'm okay with paying him, but then the money has to come from somewhere, you know? Right, so, and so if so, you assume that, like, we trade yeah. sides of without taking back any any salary or, or maybe only variable salary, then you've come out kind of net positive from that, but... Yeah, um, but you have to give up something for Miller, you know? That's the yeah. thing, you know, at some point... Um, you know, and, and again, I think I'm quoting Katya here, but, like, you can envision all of these transactions where it's, like, uh, we wrap up Marner at this amount, and we trade, you know, this guy for Miller, and we trade Zaitsev for a null return, and maybe we unload Patrick Marlowe and all this sort of stuff. And if there are components anywhere in there where we're kind of getting something for nothing in terms of value, 
where we're really just like robbing someone on a trade, you start having to look really close at the whole string of transactions there. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible for Kyle Dubas to go and outsmart somebody, but I don't think I want to count on it. And so I, I find myself thinking, we're going to be squeezed here one way or another. Um, in, in terms of, you know, yeah, I mean, it's like Yancita was saying, if you just unload Zaitsev and then sit on your hands, and then suddenly you're like, Justin Hole, top four right defenseman. And despite what some people think, I think that that would end pretty badly. I think that would end so, up worse than Zaitsev. Right and like Zaitsev, oh, I don't think. Yeah, like I really yeah, believe I don't think that Zaitsev is good, right? I, I think he's like a third pairing no. guy essentially. But I also don't think there is no difference between him and Justin Hall. Yeah. And I guess like um, it, it's a fait accompli that Ron Hainsey is back, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I accepted that like a month ago. I was like, oh yeah, wait a minute, he has to come back. Morgan Riley, yeah. Ron Hainsey, part three. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm kind of coming around I think this is probably <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome but I'm kind of coming around to Ron Hainsey I'm like well he kind of you know he does some stuff well and he's sort of like a funny old guy um, even though he's actually like a millennial as people keep pointing out to me he's not actually that old he's only hockey old but uh, yeah I don't know I, like at this point it's like if you don't bring back Ron Hainsey then you and you deal Zaitsev now you have like two viable defensemen to start the year. Like, you have Rowley and Muzzin, and then Dermot is injured. Right. And then everyone else is a huge question mark. So it's like, well, any port in a storm. Yeah. Bring back yeah, Ron exactly. Hainsey. It just becomes... It very quickly becomes a huge mess, right? And, I mean, the loss yeah. of Jake Gardner really can't be overstated here. Um, again, this entire podcast is basically referencing things that Katya and Kevin have said and written. So I'm going to do it again. Katya had a good piece earlier in the year how... You know, the Leafs' top two defensemen are Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner. That's kind of their top pair, even though they don't play together, right? They're, they're played in a way where they're, like, by far the two most important defensemen. And we're losing Jake Gardner, and Jake Gardner is very, very good. And to some degree, having Muzzin helps that, um, you know, mitigates that in some way. And I, I imagine we'll see kind of similar usage with Muzzin and Riley, you know, uh, as we did with Gardner and Riley this year. Um, but then everything else around them is really, really, really suspect, right? So, yeah, Ron Hainsey becomes somewhat palatable yeah. as an option. I and mean, you know, at a certain point, it's like, well, as much as it's important to, like, manage the salary cap and assets and accumulate value and sort of uh, continually try to improve, at some point, someone has to play the games, and the Leafs are in a position where I, they should be trying to contend next year. Like, it's not... Uh, we aren't going to call this a transition year at this point. God... Um, so someone, someone might yell on Twitter for saying that the Leafs are decent. <laughs> oh God! Never use positive adjectives in any like sentence that also involves Toronto. Um, yeah, no, I mean at some point it's like, well, we gotta get someone who is slightly better than warm body wherever we can find them. And if you look at the um, the list of free agent defensemen, it gets really bad really quickly. It's like Eric Carlson. Um, Definitely want him. Not 100% sure he'll fit under the salary cap. And then, you know, Gardner, Tyler Myers, who someone is going to give a billion dollars because he's tall. And then it's just a lot of, like, random guys. You know? It, like It's not like there are, are these tremendous mid-range options that we have any hope of attaining. So, yeah. Ron Hainsey, back again. Woo! Oh, actually, okay, so question. If, if, if we look at things like RIPM and isolated threat, Hainsey is, like, not very good at those at all. So do we think he's actually better than those kind of random guys that you kind of alluded to? Yes. Yanzina, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm out on a limb here. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm so, at this point, my perception of Hainsey is so warped from the last couple of years of just like, losing my mind watching him play that I don't know that I can offer a fair <laughs> assessment on that. Right, and, and to be fair to Hainsey, these, he, he has been given, again, pretty brutal usage, and I'm not convinced that these all-in-one metrics perfectly account for usage. They're, they're very good estimates, and I think they're the best things we have, but 
for example, I'm not convinced that Travis Dermott's the best play-driving defenseman in the NHL, which RAPM thinks he's you know in that class. So, yeah, it's the more you talk about this, the more the next season looks really depressing, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, this is just really <laughs> making me sad. <laughs> we gotta finish on some note about like kittens or something. Like we kind of this a little bit cheerful. Yeah. Jesus. Um. um it's it's a bit it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? Right. So, I, I, I'll say this. Okay. So Ron Hainsey, and this is like, I like I'm not really like a proper hockey nerd because um you know math, ugh. but I'm sort of like nerd adjacent. And then I, well you know I talk to Arvin for one thing and like listen, when you tell me stuff, I can't shake the feeling that quality of competition, like you said, is not accounted for properly. I just find myself thinking over and over that when someone plays really, really, really tough minutes, it doesn't seem like it's adjusted to me in the same way. And I know that that was like a 15-year argument on hockey Twitter, and saying this in public would get me, like, beat up, or, you know, well, these are nerds, but it would get me, like, widely mocked. There'd be, there'd be some but great But I just subject. find myself thinking, oh, man, I would get subtweeted hard. It would give me the Tyler Dello treatment, where they just snark at me really bad. But, uh... I don't know. I just, I find myself thinking that, like, Ron Hainsey can do really tough minutes and not die. And that sort of impresses me. Because I think a lot of players would struggle like that. And I do think that if we ever actually get an extended run of Ron Hainsey third pair defenseman, he's going to have a little mini resurgence where everyone says, oh, look, he looks pretty good, actually. But that is... Yeah, that may be just me trying to talk myself into what I've accepted is inevitable, which is that he's coming back. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad about him on the third pairing, especially. Yeah. Yeah, like he could do it. Yeah. No, and when we had Rahep on, she said the exact same thing. I, I think everyone's kind of okay with Hainsey on the third pairing. It's just, you know, for all the reasons we've discussed, who who is above him at this point, right? So you have, they, it's almost a necessity for the Leafs to trade. Maybe for Colin Miller specifically, because I don't know of any other right defenseman on the market who can plausibly play in the top four. Maybe Travis Hamonic, who I think has like one year left at like 3.8 mil, but he's also not terribly good. I think Miller's better than him. Um, so, yeah, like, it, it, it just, it's very clear that they need to address the defense somehow, and then they have like no money to do so. And I guess this can kind of lead into discussing Patrick Marlowe, because... Again, this is a contract people have noted for a while. It's like, okay, well, this third year is going to be a problem. And the main reason we felt it was going to be a problem is because we can't move Marlowe without his consent. He has a full no-move clause. And there was no reason to think that he, you know, didn't want to play out the third year of it here. Now, as we're learning, and this has been a developing story for the past two days, really, that's not the case. He is willing to move, and specifically, he's willing to move back to the West Coast, where I believe his family is going to be moving as well. Um... So, I guess, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that, Fulman? Like, how, do you think there's a workable trade to be made here? There's been some rumors with LA. I don't know if you want to just, like, kind of recap them and give your thoughts on those. Yeah, so I wrote a thing way back called Trying to Magic Away the Patrick Marlowe Contract because people were getting real creative trying to dispose of this deal in terms of, like, we'll trade him to this team and that team will buy him out and then he'll move to Casablanca or something like that. Like, it got just all over the place. Um, and the thing that I concluded was, basically all of these don't happen if he says no, and I couldn't find a reason for him to say, yeah, I want to uproot the last team to my career and go somewhere that's bad. Um, if he's willing to be traded, that opens up a lot of doors. If he's willing to be traded anywhere, that opens up even more doors. But... It's still a bad contract if you care at all about cap hit. And there are teams that care not a lot about cap hit and only about real dollars, in which case this gets a lot easier, except those teams also tend to be bad. And you get a bit of a squeeze going on in terms of the places that he might be willing to go uh, and the places where it would make a lot of sense for the team to acquire him are kind of mutually exclusive. So the Los Angeles Kings now, I don't think are going to be a good team for a while. And I'm curious as to why this is happening. I can see why Patrick Marlowe would want to live in California again, um, especially given the weather this year. It's been a crap-ass spring in Toronto. It's sour me on it. But uh, 
I don't know what the Kings are hoping to achieve here unless we really sweeten the pot. Like, they have no need to acquire a fourth liner who has a 6.25 cap hit. So, if they're going to do it, they either want to dispose of some other contract, like, say, Ilya Kovalchuk, or they want us to add a draft pick, they want us to add something. I don't think that there's any way where you deal Patrick Marlowe where you aren't sweetening the pot considerably because he does not have positive value at his current number. He has great positive value as a human being. I feel bad with that whole dollars and cents thing where I say he's kind of worthless. He's a great dude. Like him a lot. He's team dad, but he's not, um, as a hockey player, worth that amount of money right now. So any trade discussion that goes on around this is going to be a question of what kind of incentive do we need to stack on to get him somewhere he's willing to go. If that's Los Angeles, it looks to me like bad money has to come back. And maybe it's Kovalchuk, who has the same cap hit, but has another year on. So maybe if the Kings are willing to retain some money on that, um, and, you know, this has, again, been kind of mooted around hockey Twitter. This isn't like an original thought. But if, you know, if the Kings retain 50% on Kovalchuk, it turns it into, instead of paying... 6.25 for this old guy in one year, we're paying half that in each of two years for a similarly not that effective old fourth liner. So I don't know how this is going to go. I'm going to say that, like, definitely hold your horses on this one in terms of whatever's coming back or whatever we have to pay is going to be kind of unpleasant for us. It's not just going to be what I thought Zaitsev might be, which is, you know, Zaitsev for basically nothing. It's going to be Marlowe at a cost to get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, Yenzina, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah. Like you said, like people have been galaxy braining trying to get rid of Marlowe basically since that contract was signed. Um, And I just find the entire, I mean, maybe he is fine with moving his family, but just that alone makes it so weird to me that he would like agree to a trade because he has all those children and they're like established in Toronto now and they're like <laughs> going to school here now for a couple of years and like he, I assume he'd like to get another chance at winning a cup before he retires which is not going to happen in LA for sure um, and it's not going to happen in a lot of other teams and if like we're trading him for something that's not pleasant for us I'm kind of like why bother then just like bite it for one more year if if what we're getting back is just going to be like yeah yeah it, it yeah that's kind of how i feel about it so it appears we're kind of restricted to to west coast teams so let's say the california teams arizona colorado maybe uh vegas so a few of them you can kind of rule out immediately san jose cap strapped contender no real need for marlo despite the sentiment um vegas cap strapped no need for marlo Colorado, they think they're good, not in kind of cap dump mode. So that leaves essentially LA, maybe, uh, Anaheim, maybe, and Arizona, right? Arizona is everyone's, <laughs> Arizona is like, a, it's like the vanishing cabinet in Harry Potter. I, they can't keep doing this forever, can they? Like at some point it's going to have to be like, they're paying out $1 in real salary and like $450 million well, like, in cap hit. And like, it'll get to some ridiculous end state. But I wonder if Arizona is just like, know. they're just trying to stick around to get more expansion money or something. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see a conceivable plan for them to be a contender because they just they just don't spend. Arizona is a money laundering <laughs> operation. Let's be clear about that. Like, in 10 years, it's going to come out. It's like, oh, yeah, the Medellin cartel was backing I, us the whole time, dude. Like, that's the only the way this makes that any sense. That I feel regulators would look more suspiciously at, like, why do the Coyotes have this much money as opposed to some guy just showing up with, like, $5 million in, a, in cash? It's like, oh yeah, that, that's that's more normal. Why would the Coyotes have money though? That's that's absurd. <laughs> like, at least try and make your money laundering obvious yeah. or less obvious. Um, but yeah, so yeah. LA even it doesn't really make sense to me. As you said, they are a rebuilding team, so it makes sense to me if they want to say, okay, we'll give you back some contract ballast that isn't that bad, and then also give us an asset. But the contract ballast that they have is, you know, pretty pretty onerous it's like maybe dustin brown or Ilya kovalchuk uh, maybe you could talk yourself into alec martinez being an actual useful piece for the leafs except i don't know if people realize alec martinez isn't very good and he's making four million dollars this year and next 
So like I, I don't really want that. <laughs> that that's that's basically the Zaitsev deal, but shorter term. So I, I don't really mm. I don't really want that in particular. So LA doesn't seem like a match, and for what it's worth, one of their um, I guess I think beat reporters Helen Helen Elliot um, said that like you know they might have talked it a uh, deal, but I don't get the sense that anything's close. And at a certain point, you're kind of just left with like Arizona and maybe Anaheim, and God knows what Anaheim's trying to do. And with Arizona, it just becomes what asset are we willing to pay to rid ourselves of this deal? Right, and do we need to even retain to to do so? And yeah, like, for would either of you guys be willing to trade, for example, Andreas Janssen, just to get rid of this deal? Assume we get, we don't retain, so we we trade Janssen and Mardo for nothing. No. No. Okay. The thing about it is that if you trade Andreas Janssen by himself and you don't take back an asset with actual salary, you've actually already freed up two point five three million against your cap next year anyway. Mm-hmm. And the squeeze is lightened just by virtue of that. And considering that he's an asset with some actual value, um, I don't think that you've really achieved a whole lot doing that. Unless you turn around and spend all the Marlowe money on something spectacular. But the UFA... (laughs) (laughs) That's the end game here? Okay. Um, Never mind, actually. We're getting our Timmy Panarin. Woo. But uh, I think realistically, it's like... It's not always that easy to just free up the cap space and then turn around and just go buy whoever you want. Oh, absolutely. Especially you know when I mean? there's only one Artemi Panarin, right? It's not like there's a bunch of them, right? You you have to make sure the actual physical Artemi Panarin, the person, wants to come to Toronto. There's no guarantee he does, right? Same for, say, Eric Carlson. And I've seen this being said for like, oh, let someone offer sheet Mitch for however much, take four firsts and then sign Eric Carlson. It's like, you know, they're, they're, you're looking overlooking a yeah. big step here. Yeah, Eric Carlson can get, you know, probably nine, ten million out of literally anybody. So can Artemi Panarin. Yeah. You know, it's like some of it's gonna be family and lifestyle and what's the sunshine like and all this sort of stuff. So Yeah, so yeah. It, it's Okay, so i also probably wouldn't do Janssen to just get rid of Marta, that's too steep a cost. So there's obviously a line where it's like, Okay, the sweetener's too much, but then, you know, you you start lowering it. What about Jeremy Bracco? What about Trevor Moore? What about a 2020 second rounder, right? Like, there, there's levels at which I think we, we start accepting that, right? Because mm-hmm. we do need that cap base if we do want to upgrade the defense this year, even though it's a one-year thing. It, it's not very palatable for the Leafs to be like, okay, yeah, I guess we're just going to be much worse this year. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know about that. The thing about the Kings is that, like, I don't know what they think they're doing. The Kings are bad and will be bad for a while, and I honestly think that the Kings should burn everything down right this second. Like, they should go to Anze Kopitar and Drew Doughty and all, and uh, just be like, please guys, you know, the train's leaving the station. Do you? I know that LA is like a nice place to be um, if you're rich, but we're not going to be good for a while now, and now would be a good time to get out of town. Uh, I don't know if they think, okay, no, we can still bounce back and turn around and be good in a couple of years. But if they go at it from a perspective of we're seriously going to rebuild, um, the money concerns ease up a little bit for them and they start being like, yeah, we'll take draft picks as compensation. Mm-hmm. Like if they're determined to, we need to be good soon or we need to turn this around pretty quick, they really want rid of bad money in exchange over more term. Well, and that, like Kovalchuk. And that's what the reporting seemed to be centered around, right? So, and then, yeah, as you said, like it, as Yensina, you, you just said this, right? Like, if it's if you're being asked to take on a really crappy deal back, just stomach the Marlowe thing for one year. Yeah, like it's not ideal, but like, what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mistake is yeah. made. We're here. Yeah. So this is basically the Leafs off season. This is not ideal, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like John Tavares was so exciting and novel and such a grand moment. It's just like, yeah, for the next two years, it's just going to be like, well, this is bad. You know, like that was the last fun decision we get to make for a while. Yeah, and I mean, uh, maybe this is a little irrational of me, but I think I'm more averse to taking on long-term bad or mediocre money than maybe I should be because the Leafs cap sheet after this season is very clean, right? And again, this assumes you get rid of Zaitsev for nothing terribly onerous, which even if we do have to give up an asset for that, I think, you know, 
I'm more pessimistic about this than you guys, but even I think that you can get something that's not that bad back, uh, or cer certainly nothing that harmful. So assuming you can get rid of that, our cap sheet after this year is sparkling, right? There's basically no bad money on it. And it's kind of nice to have that because it means, okay, we just you know don't make mistakes from here and we're fine. But yeah, like it, it, it may be that in order to balance our needs of competing this year, you know, finding a replacement for Zaitsev and finding room for whatever forward additions we need, or sorry, retaining all the forwards we need to make, or we need to retain, we might have to take back some, some crappy money. And I, I'm already going to kind of regret it, and, or quite dislike it. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not terribly optimistic about what we can get for, for Marlowe. Yeah, I, I think if you think about the Marlowe contract for too long, and I think some people have done this, maybe in some of the commentary, you can start being like, okay, I have to get rid of this. I have to get rid of this. I have to get rid of this. And you start just being like, okay, here are all the solutions by which I get rid of this. And you try and pick the best one. And you stop thinking, is the best solution by which I get rid of this contract actually worse than just keeping him? And, you know... I think, you know, the bottom line of it is what Yensina said, which is just like, maybe you just have to accept that, okay, he's here. And it is what it is. And you play him as a fourth line left wing. And on the off chance we win the cup or something, it's a beautiful sentimental story and it's fine. But I really, I, I don't want to encumber us with any kind of long-term way. And so I'm not that desperate to make a big move there as much as I roll my eyes at that cap head. So... Right, and to, to some degree, it's just we have to almost accept that this last year's Leafs team, especially the version with Muzzin and Gardner on it, is going to be worse, or is going to be better than the team we have in 2019-2020. <laughs> right? That's never a fun thing to realize. Yeah. I, I kind of wish you hadn't <laughs> said it now. But, <laughs> but it's true. Well, I, uh, I mean, yeah. No, it's a fact. Like, look, the defense... You can't really lose Jake Gardner, who is ish your best defenseman, um, or at least in that category, and not be able to replace him and get better. You know, unless your players internally take a huge step and, you know, Rasmus Sandin comes in next year and is like, oh, yeah, no, I am a 1D now. But barring something bananas like that happening, it's, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a tough year. And hopefully you get a lucky bounce and get out of the first round because that's all it takes. But it's tough. You know? Yeah. I feel like a lot of this has been us saying, you know, uh, depends on, like, everything depends on the return, right? So it's hard to make any definitive claim yeah. to what we should do because, you know, there's a return for which trading Marlowe with an asset and just getting rid of it makes sense, right? But there's a return for which mm -hmm. it's a horrible move. And we don't, we don't know what is being really discussed and what the prices are. So it, it's very difficult from our position to say, you know, this is the battle plan for the Leafs, and this is what they should do. The fact of the matter is they have a bunch of options, and frankly, we're kind of lucky that Marlowe is even considering, you know, waiving his no-move clause. He certainly didn't have to, right? And even, you know, it gives us a lot more options in terms of freeing up some cap space than we had to start. So we're, we're lucky in that sense, but it's, it's, very, it's very TBD on how any of this is going to shake out. Yeah, and it's like four or five moves that are all interlinked. Yeah. Like, you can do individual things that are part of a big plan where it's like, I free up a lot of money this year or something like that. But, you know, you really have to get a lot of, of moving parts settled there. And I don't feel confident predicting any of that. Y you know, Cal Dubas has it all on the table in front of him. And maybe he thinks, okay, I can solve this in, like, four different moves. But that's a huge chain of transactions that you can't really see from the outside. So. Mm -hmm. Yensin, yeah. I wanted to ask you this. Um, so you and both, you and Fulman both kind of said that to some degree, maybe you have to wait Marner out. But as we've discussed, there's a lot of other moves that had to be made and not having certainty on Marner is potentially damaging. Do you think that influences Dubas and his willingness to be like, at some point, screw it, I'll just sign Marner for what he wants and I have it settled? Or do you think, you know, even despite that sort of uncertainty, he should just continue to hold firm on Marner and just do everything else, assuming that he can get Marner at some somewhat reasonable amount. Yeah. Yeah. Marner's contract is definitely like the linchpin that like this entire summer like balances on. 
And I think that's, like, I think Dubis has shown that he's willing to do that sort of, like, I just want to get this settled with the Matthews contract where he maybe paid more for less than he should have because it was just kind of like, whatever, I just want to get this done. I, I still think he shouldn't do that with Marner. And I think that the sort of deadline for when you start being like, no, I do need to just get this over with is after July 1st when the potential of offer sheets either materializes or doesn't it's going to be a lot easier after that to be like okay this didn't happen so now what um but it is definitely something that there that is a is a is a pain point to get that done because then you need to get Janssen and Kapanen and then you need to start looking at trades yeah and a lot of these trades will also probably happen around draft time like that that's yeah I kind of think that, you know, we're going to see a Zaitsev trade at the draft, most likely, um, if he is going to be traded. And that will probably be done before Marner's contract is finalized, right? So to some degree, he already has to, you know, say, okay, here's what I expect Marner to come in at. I'm just going to have that in my back pocket and keep that in mind. Pretend he's there and, you know, sort it out later. Man, being a GM sounds hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, there's a general frustration there because one, it was a tough year. It was a tough way for it to end, you know, fucking Boston knocking us out again in game seven. And now it's like, it feels a lot less like this summer is about upgrading the team so much as it's about like plugging holes in the boat. And that's not uh, a great position to be in. Our last podcast, we kind of went on about reasons to be optimistic. And I think it's worth keeping them in perspective in that like when all is said and done Mitch Marner probably comes home to risk comes home to roost excuse me um plays for this team again for many more years and I don't think that Kyle Dubas is going to make like a really awful trade that's short-sighted in terms of trying to dispose of the sites of our Marlowe contracts like I don't have a ton of faith in his ability to capture extra value in a contract negotiation but I don't think he's going to do anything stupid on the trade front. So, you know, once this all kind of gets done with, it might get a little bit easier to start feeling sunny about the Leafs again in September. But, you know, right now I'm just kind of hoping the Raps win. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a very real, you know, set of scenarios where the Leafs come out pretty, you know, pretty good on this. Where, you know, if they, if they trade Zaitsev for essentially nothing, they trade maybe a Janssen-based package for Colin Miller. That alone, kind of, they're not set for this next year, but that, are, and they sign Marner something reasonable, and Kapanen. They're already at a point where it's like, okay, that that's not a bad point, place to be in. And then after this year, we're completely clean. Right? So, yeah. and I don't think either of those things, or any of those things, are particularly ridiculous. Right? I think the, the one that requires, I guess, the most suspension of disbelief is trading Zaitsev for nothing, but we all seem to think that it's at least possible in theory. Yeah, I hope I'm right about that. But um, I just find myself thinking that players who aren't clearly like kind of nothing assets, um, who like who have some value and who are at that kind of position of need, I think someone's going to say, look, we have the room. We need a right-handed defenseman. You know, and at some point they're just going to say, okay, bite the bullet. We'll get him off the side of the road. Um, just the fact that by the rumors of it, there are like five or six teams inquiring after him. That kind of suggests that there's a level of interest that isn't, you, you know, like we would have to be really reimbursed to take on this contract. Like people are investigating it apparently. Have there been any so rumors on the specific teams? Uh, I don't think I saw that. Um, I think this was just a Bob McKenzie tweet if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, I don't know. Somebody. I mean, like, there are, like, five teams in the NHL who have enough right-handed defensemen, to be honest with you. So, it's just a question of which of the remaining teams thinks that Zaitsev might be a solution, I think. So, could be a lot of teams. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Hopefully, you guys are accurate there. Um, Okay, was there anything else that you guys wanted to really discuss on, uh, on this episode? I'll take that as a no. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, okay. We've cool. worn ourselves out emotionally by talking about all these depressing. Yeah, things. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this has been a very like, oh man. This, I mean, there's some people who say, oh no, the Leafs aren't in cap hell. That's the Leafs are in cap hell, like for this season for sure. Right? There's no, there's yeah. no two ways about it. Um, that said, they're in cap hell while being a good team, as opposed to yeah. the Kings who are in cap hell and suck. Yeah. Right. But well, people are like, Cap Hell is like Detroit, where it's yeah. like you're awful forever and you're paying everyone. But I'm like, the Leafs are in like, you know, like Greek Cap Hell, where it's like they can almost touch a championship, but they can't quite reach it or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's more involved and sad. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> okay. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to thank Yenzina for, for joining us. Uh, do you have anything to plug real quick before uh, we head out? Um, I don't know. Listen to my podcast. Yeah. Where can they find it? Uh, you can find us everywhere. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Our website's realgoodpros.com. It's good with a U. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys should honestly listen. It's a, it's a very fun and excellent podcast. Um, easily in the top two Leafs-related podcasts <laughs> out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if you like how much Arvind and I like William Nylander, you will be reassured to know that we're not alone in that. The real good pros people. Yeah, you, are you, you, got, also you guys make me him, feel like so. I don't love Nylander enough. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, that's how it should be. We, you can never truly love William Nylander enough. Um, but yeah, th- thank you so much for for joining us. I I hope hope it was as enjoyable for you as it was for us. Yeah, so much fun. Um, Thanks for having me. Asher, myself, and Foolman, you can find all of our work at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFoolman. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.